so this morning we have a special treat. A friend of mine, Pastor Ken Gray, is here with his wife, Pam. Hello. Um, Pastor Ken has been in ministry longer than I've been alive. And um, right now... <laughs> right now, he is pastoring at Calvary Life, uh, right here in town, and uh, I'm, I'm, he, I, he's part of our gatekeepers group, and so I've gotten to listen to him many times share what God um, puts on his heart, and um, yeah, we're in for a treat. So, um, so Pastor Ken, without further ado, please, sir. Wait, whoa, sorry about that. A uh, little extra anointing there, I guess. <laughs> and uh, I was so looking forward to being with you because after Pastor Dennis had contacted me about possibly uh, filling in for him while he was away, I got really excited and started praying, and I really felt the Lord put a word on my heart uh, from John chapter 11 about the hope of resurrection. And uh, I just... I came in today, uh, it wasn't easy. I, it seems like there's a lot of obstacles whenever the Lord gives you something, that you, it, there's always paths that you have to follow to get to where God wants you to be. And so I'm excited about being with you, but I wanna just mention first of all that my wife and I, although we've served in this community for probably a little better than 35 years, we didn't always live here. Uh, I grew up in Northern Maine on a potato farm. I've been a Christian since I was about eight years of age, and uh, I met the Lord very young in my life. And I feel incredibly blessed because when I think about it, I was eight years old, I'm 68. I've been serving the Lord 68 amazing years. And God blessed me with my beautiful wife for 48 years. But early on in our life, we had some obstacles. We lost a child. It was very painful. I remember that. And then the Lord gave me a dream one night about having a beautiful... I'm sorry, I get a little emotional thinking about this. <laughs> I had a beautiful baby girl in this dream, and she had dark, curly hair. Uh, I just wished I had hair. And uh, she... she <laughs> uh, so... Uh, in the dream, it was so vivid, my wife had cancer, and we were told by doctors that we couldn't have children because of the cancer that was growing in my wife's body, that it shut down the female cycle, and it wasn't possible. But how many know God raises the dead? Amen. And uh, my wife was uh, healed. That night, I had that dream. 
We went, we were on our way to the Philippines in the midst of battling this cancer. I thought that was strange that God would send us in a, into a foreign country while we were going through this particular trial, but the Lord told me that he had made her body and that he could take care of it. And so I woke my wife up, because the dream woke me up, and I woke my wife up and I said, honey, you've been healed and we're gonna have a baby. And she said, right, and went over and went back to sleep. And so I says, it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> but uh, she, 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 anyway, she began to experience immediately the symptoms of having uh, a pregnancy. And so we had it, we went back to the same doctor that originally diagnosed her because we were getting ready to go to the Philippines and we told him that we believe she was pregnant. He said, it's impossible. It's not possible if by some freak of a chance she got pregnant, then she should have an abortion and a complete hysterectomy. And I said, well, we're not going down that road. And, and I said, we're going to the Philippines. And so we went to the Philippines and in the Philippines, in Manila, my oldest child, Lisa Joy, because she gave us so much joy. And now that daughter that wasn't supposed to be has six children of her own. We did lose another child in that process of uh, after, after Lisa, we lost another one, but God blessed us with Marcia and then Paul. So we have three children by the flesh, but over the course of my life, in particular ministry life, as around the last 40 years, we've had well over 40 people that have lived with us off and on. And as a consequence, I have uh, two other daughters that I consider my own, even though they're not flesh, they're as much my daughters as all the rest of them. In fact, one of them lives with us now, and uh, she has just graduated, came from a difficult background. God gave her a wonderful husband, two beautiful children, and she's uh, now, next week, she starts as a uh, high school, 10th grade English teacher in a magnet school in Hartford. And so we're very proud of her and proud of her, our children. And But I want to tell you that God raises the dead. And we know that because of Jesus Christ. So when we come to John chapter 11, many of you may be familiar, but I really, I want the Lord to open our hearts. So if you would just take a minute to pray with me. Father, I know that this is a divine arrangement that the invitation I received from Pastor Dennis, Lord, was not ultimately from him, but from you. And I pray that you quicken the word that you placed on my heart and that the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit would be in this place. And Lord, that the truths that you would have this special folks here, especially as their children go back to school, to know the resurrection, amen. In the context of this story, John, the, the, the Gospel of John, he records six other incredible miracles, starting with the water into wine and, and the healing of the, the blind man who was born blind. Uh, there's a number of miracles in between there as well, but it seems like John selects specific miracles to teach specific truths. It's very well orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, this book. I've always loved this book. It's not my favorite gospel, but it's one that God has taught me uh, many lessons. And so I, I love all of the gospels, and, and I love in particular teaching the Old Testament, but it's unfortunately God gave me a New Testament word for you today, and I, I want to share that with you. Now, when we come to the story, Jesus has 
he's nearing the end of his ministry. He's had a very difficult time in conflict with the religious people. That's always the church's biggest problem is religious people. It's not often the world and the politics, all of that that we fear. It's often in the community of God that we experience troubles. And so he has at this time basically revealed himself to his disciples and they have witnessed numerous miracles. I mean, he's done uh, incredible things before them, but it says in verse 1, and I'm just going to read through this story today because I, I felt like the Lord impressed me. I don't have any notes here today, and that's because I'm going to try to speak from my heart. And it's, it's, a, it's a word that God put in me. I want to say also thank you for allowing me to be with your men a little while back. I see several faces that I uh, look familiar. Uh, and I had a, a sharing with them about my battle with uh, depression. I was in depression for well over three years and for two and a half years, uh, depression. <laughs> I've been off medication well over three years now. And uh, I'm who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, many of us face situations. Many of us face, face financial situations. We may face uh, material provision situations. We may feel, face uh, sickness, health, loss of life in our families or whatever. But I want to tell you something. God loves us. And it's good when we're going through things that are adverse and, and causing us a lot of pain. We need to turn to the one who loves us. And we know that Mary loved Jesus because she poured a very expensive ointment onto his feet, wiped his feet with her hair. I mean, this was an incredibly expensive offering of worship. This was a, an expressive form of worship. And so she had developed a relationship with Christ. And, and she tended to want to sit at his feet and be at his feet all the time. And she will be again here a little bit later in this story. But what we learn about Mary uh, in this situation here is that she's in pain. And I think implied in their call was not only, Lord, the one whom you love, Lazarus, is sick, but I think implied behind that is you love us too, and we're in pain from him being in pain. I'll tell you one thing. It's one thing for me to be in pain, but when my kids are in pain, when my family is in pain, it hurts a whole lot more than when I'm in pain. I would rather be in pain than any of my family be in pain. I think if you're a father or a mother, you probably know what I'm talking about is you just, you can't, you can, you can be cruel to me, but don't be cruel to my kids. You might get in danger if you know what I'm saying, all right? All right, don't you be looking so pious out there, everyone. Uh, uh, I'm going to be picking on you a little bit, maybe. So the, it says, the one who, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. This isn't going to end in death. Don't worry about it, guys. This is, I had, the thing that I held on to during that entire time was, even though I didn't feel it in my emotions, in my mind and in my heart, I understood God loves me. And sometimes I had to spend hours on my knees before I left my house to have the, the, the truth of that reality engraved in my heart because I walked by faith in a truth that I knew that I didn't feel in my own flesh. You ever have to walk by faith? 
But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God. God wants to use our trials to glorify his son. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, here is exactly what I was saying about. He didn't just love Lazarus. He had a close friendship with his family. He stayed in their home. He ate in their home. When he journeyed around, they were a host to him oftentimes. And it says Jesus loved uh, these, these folks. So when he heard that he was sick, he quickly ran over there and laid hands on him, and he, he was healed. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. If he was my pastor, I'd have fired him. What do you mean? If you love me, you're not going to dilly-dally. You're going to get to me. And a lot of times we are confused because in our trials, in our tests, if Jesus doesn't show up in the way that we think we, that he should show up, we think he doesn't love us. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. It could be he's waiting because he wants to demonstrate his power in a unique way in your life so that you see the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a delay here. And the delay is actually motivated by love. The delay for God to answer some of your prayers that have left you in confusion at times, it might be love. So, verse 7, Then after this he said to his di disciples, after he delayed two days, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? I mean, this is dangerous mission. You know, it was like he had just been in the context of a great deal of controversy in, in chapter 10, and there he had asserted that he was, in fact, united with the Father. He was one with the Father, and they got so upset. They said, you're blaspheming. They wanted to kill him. And actually, they wanted to kill him several times. And he just, by the Holy Spirit, walked through those situations. You see, just because there's adversity doesn't mean you're out of sync with God. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it might mean you are on the right track. So it says, uh, when he, he suggested to go back, his disciples, they're worried. Jesus, verse 9, answered, Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. I don't know about you, but uh, as I get older, some of you might not, doesn't look like anybody here is as old as I am. But uh, anyway, when I get, as I get older, I, I need more light. Even when I read, I go sit next to the window now because I'm struggling to be able to see things and bring them into focus. At nighttime, when I get up, which is a few times on occasion, I know my way around because I've memorized everything. But there's a few times I've stubbed my toes because of the darkness. And when we're walking in darkness, and I'm not speaking about physical darkness, spiritual darkness, we can be brought into a lot of trouble. Jesus said, if anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because the light of the Lord of, the, of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not, here's the word, in him. 
So he's now bringing this into another field. He's not talking about natural light versus, you know, uh, darkness. He's talking about that as a symbol and a shadow that I have to walk in the light of God's will. I have to do what God wants me to do, even if it seems to be a bad idea. When my wife and I decided, I mean, I prayed for two weeks before I even asked her about going to the Philippines. I, God dealt with me. That was the light that I had. It was go to the Philippines. And I said, Lord, I, I kept arguing with God. My wife has cancer. They told her she's going to be possibly dead within nine months. They said they gave this very tragic news to us. And when they gave us all of this information, I said, Lord, it's not reasonable. You know that God does a lot of times things in our lives that doesn't seem reasonable? <laughs> because he has an eternal perspective and he has, he's in perfect light. And so I argued with God for two weeks about my wife's and I going to the Philippines. And then finally I got up the courage wimp that I am, set her down on the couch and said, honey, I, I got a question for you. You don't have to say yes or no. Just pray about this, please. Just pray about, would you pray about uh, considering going to the Philippines? She practically jumped off the couch. She said, for two weeks, God has been speaking to me the same thing. And I'm like, all the fear that I had about making that decision about going against what the doctors were saying and going to a foreign country where the hospitals and doctors are probably not as adequate or there. What will her unsaved parents think? What will her friends think? They'll think I'm a bad husband. I don't care about my wife. All I want to do is go on an adventure. I had all these crazy thoughts, but I needed to be in the light. I needed to be in the light. Jesus says, listen, our going there is because I'm walking in the light. He says, verse 11, this he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if, we, if he has fallen asleep, he'll, he'll, he will recover. He'll get better. And Jesus had spoken to his death. Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. Jesus was talking metaphorically. He was speaking of Lazarus has died. So Jesus then said to them plainly, here guys, listen to me carefully. Lazarus is dead. Now here's one of those other phrases that confuses me like the one earlier. I love you, wait two days. Right? Confusing. Jesus says, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad. I'll read the rest of the sentence. Don't worry. Okay? But does sometimes things go haywire in our life, and God says, oh, this is going to be a good one. Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes. Do you know that the pain that Martha and Mary suffered in the death of their brother Lazarus turned out to be an incredible manifestation of the glory of God? Sometimes our suffering benefits others. They suffered a loss, but the whole world got to see a resurrection. Everybody wants to go to heaven, the old song says, but nobody wants to die. Everybody, everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants to get sick. I, I asked God, I want to see miracle powers, and my wife got sick. That's not what I meant. 
I wanted that miracle to be in somebody else. We like it that way, you know. He says, I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go, let's go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. We might as well go. We're all going to get killed, but we'll die with him. All right? We'll die with Jesus. So when Jesus came, excuse me, I got, I got to pay attention to my iPad here a little more. I got too excited. So when Jesus came, he found that he had been already dead for four days, in the tomb for four days. They, they buried him on the day of their death. Four days had passed. In other words, he had come and entered into an impossible situation. I'm telling you that the faith that we need today in today's culture is we need faith for the impossible. We need faith for resurrection. We do not need powerless religion with a bunch of fancy little terms and psychology. What we need is a manifestation and a demonstration of the power of the resurrection spirit of God in the church today because the world that you and I are facing, there are a lot of dead people out there. And you, believe it or not, we all are dead, the scripture says, in trespasses and sin. And there is no salvation without resurrection. And Jesus said, the works that I do, you're going to do also, and greater works than these shall you do. John chapter 14, I'm getting a little ahead of myself in the scriptures here. But he basically said, those who believe in him are going to do the same kind of works he did. Because it's so quiet, you're kind of scaring me now. It's okay to say amen or ouch or something like that if you want. All right. He'd been dead four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to console them concerning the brother. Isn't it interesting? The sympathizers, the empathizers got there before Jesus. They called for Jesus, but man, the people that can sympathize and mourn with you, they show up quick. And they didn't bring any hope of resurrection. They only reinforced the sorrow that Mary and Martha were experiencing. Sympathizers will sometimes show up before Jesus does. But there's a purpose in all of this. They came to console them concerning their brother. Some probably with good motivations, others not so good. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. This is an interesting picture to me. I'm fascinated by many of these details. Martha hears about Jesus, but it just seems too late, and Mary is so overcome with grief that she can't get up to go meet him. Martha bolts up, goes out to meet, make her complaint to Jesus. Martha then said, verse 21, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. God, if you'd have showed up, I'd have never gone through this depression. Lord, if you'd have just, listen, I look back through my life. Did I do anything bad? I didn't even know why I was depressed. I was depressed about being depressed. 
I was a pastor. I should not be depressed. I didn't have any explanation for it. I didn't have any root causes. No psychiatrist could reveal anything. All I know, I was having this intense battle, this tormenting struggle with darkness. Martha comes out. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, if you just showed up, Lord, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She's trying to believe. She's struggling. Can you see the struggle that's going on? With her? If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. But even now, I'm trying to have hope, but she's just she's struggling with this. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You know, we always want to put miracles way into the future. Why? Because it doesn't require any faith in the present. Martha says, I know that he'll rise again on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus reveals to Martha, the one who comes out in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her disappointment, in the midst of her suffering. Sometimes it's better to call on Jesus than call on your neighbor. <laughs> we call on it. Listen, sometimes it gets so bad there is nobody else you can call on. Because all you're going to get from them is sympathy and empathy, and it just reinforces your pain. But when you call on Jesus, he brings hope. He brings peace. He brings resurrection power. Your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection and life. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And this next passage really gets to me verse 28 she's come to a place of faith here she doesn't fully understand it so when she had said this she went away to call and called mary her sister saying secretly she went secretly to mary where all the sympathizers are where all the fellow mourners are and she goes into the house and she says secretly this the teacher is here and is calling for you. We have a message for the world. Jesus is here, and he's calling for you. Those that are dead, dead in trespasses and sins, dead in, by cause of a sickness, because of an illness, because of financial problems, because of situations in their family where things have gone haywire in trial, they need to know that Jesus is here, and they need to know he's calling for them. He's calling for you. He cares about you. I, I'm here to tell you today that if anyone deserved not to hear from Jesus, it was me. Why would he call on me? Why would he speak to me? Why would he bring me the message of hope? I didn't deserve it. But while I am yet sinner, while I am his enemy, while I am useless, while I am ungodly, Jesus came and died for me. He didn't come for the goody-goody religious people. He came for those who understand that they are dead. Glory to God. I used to sing a song. Ye are dead, ye are dead. Happy tune. 
you are dead and you're risen with Christ and God or something like that. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above for you are dead and your life is risen with Christ and God. Oh, ye are dead. We rejoice because in our death we receive resurrection life. Do you realize that you cannot live a Christian life without the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit? It's not possible. I cannot live in righteousness. God gave us a detailed uh, expression of righteousness in the law of God. Israel couldn't keep it. No one can. People say, I I'd like to be a Christian, but I just can't do it. No kidding. Because you need the resurrection. You're dead. That's good news, folks. <laughs> I'm going to sing for you again and make it worse. <laughs> Nothing worse than singing for the dead. She says, this, the teacher is here. He's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Folks, there are people in our communities, there are people in our family that they're waiting to hear that somebody loves them, that Jesus loves them, and that he's calling for them. We need to carry that message, that resurrection message of hope. She got up quickly. She came to him, and Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Mar Martha met him. In other words, Jesus did not come to Mary's misery. She had to leave the place of her misery to come to Jesus. She had to leave the place of mourning, the place where the sympathizers, they followed her and everything. But a lot of times, God is, it's interesting that Jesus never went to the house and said, come on, Mary, please. You can understand it. Look who's here. No, 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 no. He sent a message to her through her sister and says, I'm here, and I'm staying right here until you come to where I am. I'm not going to where you are. Some people never want to let go of their pain. They don't want to let go of their sorrow and suffering. Some people like their sicknesses so much because of all the attention that they get. They don't even really want healing. They don't want deliverance. They don't want freedom. Look at all the attention I get. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm so miserable. Thank you. Thank you. I, I said to one of my relatives, my wife will know who I'm talking about when I say this, but you won't, thank God. <laughs> I said, you're one of the most miserable person I ever met in my life. And he laughed right out loud. He loves his misery. A lot of people love misery. That's sad. Jesus came, and she came to Jesus. Mary came, and she said, uh, verse 31, let's see. She went quickly. She fo they followed her. She got to the tomb where he was, and uh, to the tomb. They thought she was going to the tomb to weep, so they followed her. Verse 32, therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, notice that he didn't come where she was. Sometimes we got to leave our place of mourning and go to that place to meet with Jesus. I went, I told my wife when I was going through my battle with depression, don't bother me until at least 10 o'clock in the morning. I need to meet with Jesus. I have nothing to give unless I meet with Jesus. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, oh, I'm sorry, I, I missed it. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet. Here's Mary at the feet of Jesus again, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's not so much criticizing him, saying, man, if you'd only come earlier, if you only came a little earlier, we wouldn't be going through this. Uh, our church wouldn't be facing this situation. We, if you'd have just showed up a little bit earlier, the timing of the Lord is so that he can demonstrate the resurrection power of his Holy Spirit to take us from death to life. Glory to God. Oh, man. 
And she said, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, listen, folks, this is interesting. And the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. One of the Greek words here for, for, for this emotional expression of Jesus, he was agitated, even angry. You know that Jesus is angry about the death and the, the pain that comes with death. He's angry about what sin and sickness is doing to this world. He's angry about those things. And when he, he sees this, this one Mary that he loves, and he sees how deep her pain is, he's, he's moved. He's moved. Jesus, I need to tell you, Jesus cares about where you're at in your pain. He really does. And... It says he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? What is this? This is a man who is now making a plan of action. I've, I've had enough. There comes a point in our suffering, there comes a point in our pain that Jesus says, that's it. And he begins to tremble and he begins to shake. And he comes in there with great emotion. He says, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. I really don't think he was crying and weeping over Lazarus having been separated by death because he knew what was about to happen. I believe he was crying and weeping because he saw the pain that death brought. He saw the agony, the hurt that people were going through. His good friends were in this terrible... It was one thing for Lazarus to be dead. He knew that he wasn't suffering from that, but he also knew that his sisters were in deep pain and the, the people that were there were moved. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus again, being deeply moved within, again that same idea of trembling and, and even anger came to the tomb. As a matter of fact, I think it's a Holcomb uh, translation. He uses the word anger and it, came, it was a cave and a stone was lying against it so it was the man was dead the man was buried and there's a stone right you talk about impossible situation four days Jesus said remove the stone Martha the sister of the deceased said to him Lord by this time there will be a stench for he's been dead four days Sometimes when God wants to do something in us, he has to first do something through us that is not very pleasant. If we take that stone off, there's going to be a bad odor. Sometimes obedience to Christ means you have to do something that's very unpleasant. Are you willing to do something that's unpleasant? in obedience to Christ. Don't just do stupid things. That's no credit for that. But he said, Martha said to his, the Lord is going to stink by now. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, forget about what you think. Remember what I said. Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Forget about what might happen. Remember what I said. It's not what you see that will be. It's where I say it's going to prevail. 
Are you upset about Afghanistan? Are you upset about government? Are you upset about this and that in life? Forget about what you see. Remember what he said. Time to put our eyes on Jesus. I was going through a little trial the other day. Four o'clock in the morning, the Holy Spirit woke me up. I, I don't like it. I wish he would wait until it's daytime. Uh, but he does it uh, to me uh, often at four o'clock in the morning. And I kept hearing this, hearing this, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Where are your eyes, Ken? Are you looking to me right now? Or are you looking at the problem? Are you focused on what might happen? Or are you focused on what I've said? And then he said, uh, let go my soul and trust in God. The waves and the wind still know his name. And I, I said to my wife when I get up this morning, can you help me find this song? I know it's somewhere, but those are the only words that God gave me when I woke up and I don't know the rest. I want to hear the song. I get it up and it's called It Is Well With My Soul. Is it well with your soul today? You know, how is your soul in the midst of the adversity that we're facing in our country, the adversities that we're facing in, in racial division and all these kinds of things? Is it well with your soul? Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you, Lord. He says, remember what I said. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I, this is interesting to me because Jesus, when he, in his prayer here, uh, he begins by, it says, it tells us that he lifted up his eyes. When he was faced with inadequate supply, a few loaves and bread, what did he do? He lifted his eyes toward heaven it was a common practice to lift their eyes in prayer to heaven, get their eyes off of the situation, get their eyes off of the impossibility, get their eyes off the dead body, get their eyes off of the fact that, the, you know, you got a, a situation of impossibility here and get a hold of the vision of who God is. You know, worship, one of the things I love about worship is we were worshiping here. I was enjoying the music, but more than that, it's the truth that is being expressed in the music that lifts my eyes. You know, I love that we do worship prior to the message because it gets our eyes off of what happened this past week. It gets our eyes off of the adversity we face. It gets our eyes off of our own pain and gets us focused on the resurrected ruling Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Where are your eyes today? He lifts up his eyes. Father, I thank you. Man, what a different world we would live in if there was a little more gratitude in thanksgiving rather than complaining and whining. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, we listen, we're all guilty. I have mirrors, I know what I look like. You know, we're all guilty of complaining on occasion. And that's what God was reminding me of that morning. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And then he says, I knew that you always hear me. You're, you're, Lord, I know you hear me. Because, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud, loud voice. Lazarus! Come forth! I like doing it loud. 
I used to do that to my kids and my wife in the car. We'd be driving along nice and quiet, peacefully, all of a sudden, I, I'm driving, so I'm in control, right? I mean, I, I don't have to worry about scaring myself, usually, but I'd go, hallelujah! And everybody would jump and scare him. But listen, the reality is, he didn't pray, Lord, please, God, raise him from the dead. No, 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 no. He didn't beg God. He spoke to the situation and life came forth. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the power and the life. And he that believes in him, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in him will never die. Oh, this body might collapse someday, fade away whatever, but I'm not worried about that because I have a faith that takes me into eternity Amen. where the resurrected ruling Lord, it says, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. There's a world out there that needs to know Jesus is still the resurrection and the life. And they need someone to come and tell them that Jesus loves them. He cares about them. He's sensitive to the pain that they're going through. And he's the resurrection life. But when that dead body comes forth, there's a process that is needful because we still are sometimes a little bound with certain things. Any Christians ever got saved? God released you from the death, but then there was some unwrapping that needed to be done. <laughs> I'm still in the process. A little unwrapping going on in my life so that the righteousness and the power of Christ can shine forth. As a consequence of this, the Bible tells us in the following verses that the Jews, many of them, believed. They believed in Jesus. They believed in Him. But, there were some that weren't happy about it. Religious people, gotcha. And they went and complained to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And what did they do? They made a plot to kill Jesus. Some people want a religion without power. I hope it's not this church. I pray you that you want a religion of power, of the resurrection, of the Holy Spirit. I want to just, I, I was going to go to other passages, but I really feel it's not for the time for today, but I want to mention another passage in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, Paul. He talks a lot in his own personal life and acts about resurrection, but it tells us, and I, I feel like this is a word for not just this church, but the church in general. Can I say that? Uh, I feel like this is, uh, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Anybody feel like you're facing some difficult times? I tell you, your pastor brought a word the other day from Daniel chapter 1 that really encouraged me. spurred up a word that I, I believe these times where fellow ministers are fellowshipping together and we're sharing with each other. This is critical. What the gatekeepers, this meeting is very valuable part of my life. And your pastor said, Well, I was so glad when they merged the two groups together from Waterbury and where we are, we can travel wherever. And, and I've been blessed. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times, perilous times, why? For men will be. Not what they do as much as what they are. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, reviling, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. They're never grateful. 
You ever meet ungrateful people? They're the most miserable people you ever meet in your life. Unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. You can't, you can't get them to reconcile. Malicious gossip. They don't care what they say. Without self-control, foolish, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness. That's religion. A form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid men as these. Don't hang out with people that deny the power of the resurrection. You know what? I can't get up every day except to know in my own heart the resurrection. And that without him, there is no righteousness in me. There is no right attitude in me. There's no good in me. resurrection power. I don't care how bad you are, how where you come from. I deal with a lot of people who come from open situations. Why? Because I believe in the resurrection power. A Christianity a Christianity that, that does not declare resurrection power. I, I love the verses. Resurrection life is waste. 
And Lord, that it would become a source of life to this entire community and a light and a stable on the floor. And in the middle of a place where there's a lot of darkness, let the light of your truth be resurrected. Because you are.